Welcome to Life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. Today, we're going to be talking about what goes on in a fertility clinic with the Director of Social Work at RMA of New York, Renee Gower. Welcome to Life, Love, Insight, Fertility Experiences. I am so happy to be here today with Rena Gower, who is the Director of Social Work at RMA of New York, and she's got a private practice, and she specializes, of course, in trying to conceive and, and fertility and um, health coaching and all different kinds of things, and she just finished the New York City Marathon, so it's really a pleasure. I know her for so long, and it's such a pleasure to have her on, on my podcast, so thank you for being here. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Lori. I always love our discussions so much. Yeah, me too. I really do. And I'm so happy that we could talk today really about what it's like when people go to clinics because I have not worked in a clinic for fertility. And I always work with people who, of course, go to fertility clinics. And there's so much that goes on that I thought if we could just kind of give the basics of what you anticipate and what it's like and how to deal with it and cope with it and kind of go through that process of talking to the doctors, that would be that would be fabulous. And who better than you to help explain this, this story? Yes, well, I'm, I'm so happy that you're doing this episode because I think Right. When you're in it, you often forget how daunting it can be, um, it's a great for someone, you know, kind of walking in, um, you know, certainly I see that every day in my clinic work. Um, and so I love that you're, you're doing this episode to hopefully help people, um, know what to expect and maybe alleviate some of the anxiety. Yeah, it is daunting. I think that's a really good word to use. And I, you know, I, we were just chatting for a minute before, and I was sharing with you that a lot of people change clinics. And because each clinic kind of has its own personality or style or way about it. So when somebody does select RMA and they go into your clinic um, and there's so many different satellites of RMA and I know people who are so happy going there. What, what are they anticipate or how do you think they can best be able to deal with even just like picking up the phone the first time and getting that receptionist on the, on the phone? Sure. Great question. Um, well, I want to preface everything by saying, look, of course I'm biased. I work at RMA. RMA is a fantastic clinic. You know, I think our patients are all cared for, treated compassionately with kindness. Uh, the way we're set up, they have um, teams. So you're working with um, a doctor who then has specifically a nurse and a coordinator who works for them. So I want to sort of take RMA out of the equation and just sort of speak generally about um, clinics, um, in general. Um, and I will say, you know, I have personal experience with this too, because my first experience in the field was actually as a patient. Um, I was a patient before I became a professional in this space. And I became a professional in this space because I had such a difficult experience as a patient. Um, and so that's kind of how I got into this. So I will say, I think an unprepared patient goes into this and can often feel like a deer in headlights. Um, that's exactly how I felt. I remember back, you know, it was about seven years ago now, my first appointment at the fertility clinic. And I, I felt like a deer in headlights. Um, and what I see really commonly, you go in for an initial consult and you walk out feeling super overwhelmed. I don't care how great your doctor okay. is. Yeah, I don't care how great your doctor is, how great your clinic is, your team is. You go in there and you, you find out so many things about your body that you never would have known, you never would have needed to find out, 
um, unless you started pursuing this path to parenthood. And it's extremely overwhelming. You walk out with a ton of paperwork, most likely a ton of next steps, testing to do. And it is, it is a lot. Um, that is totally normal. And so I want to tell anyone who's feeling like that, take a deep breath. Okay. And it really, it's one thing at a time. You don't need to do all of that stuff in the handout, in the packet um, that day. You know, people feel that pressure. They have to get it done. You know, they, they start on this road and they want to go full speed ahead. Mm, exactly. And anxiety starts to build up from it. Right. And it feels like so many things to do, so many phone calls, so many appointments, uh, perhaps a financial responsibility if you don't have coverage. And so I think, you know, most people walk out of a fertility clinic the first time feeling really overwhelmed uh, and, and really already having kind of that seed planted of feeling quite out of control. Yeah, I, I agree with you because everything you said, I mean, and you experienced it firsthand is, and I love the expression, Deer in Headlights, you kind of gave me the chills when you said that, because you do, you walk in and you're young and you don't anticipate what it's like to have a medical condition. This is a medical condition. And right. disease. it's a disease. And I, I try and remind people of that because it's nobody's fault that this happened. And now you're faced with a doctor giving you all of this information, taking down all of this information. That alone is overwhelming. And lots of times you don't even hear everything because, you know, they're saying one thing and then you're getting stuck on that and they're going in another direction with more information. And if you don't take notes, I find, or have somebody with you, you could miss half of the appointment and not even think that you did just because it's too much being thrown at you at once. Exactly. A lot of what I do in my work uh, specifically with the clinic is, you know, it's, it's great because I can collaborate directly with the physicians yes. and I'll then go over with the patient what their doctor said, because as you just touched upon, there's very often a disconnect um, and the doctor says one thing. And then because you're so anxious, you're already in that fight or flight, you know, high cortisol stress response. You're just not processing. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you tune into that? Do you have any suggestions you give people when they say, well, the doctor didn't say that to me, but you kind of know the doctor did, or that this would just be a standard protocol. How do you help them to recognize that that fight or flight anxiety is going on at that point? Well, a lot of times I work with them to really become their own best advocate and say, okay, look, if you, it's really important then to schedule a call with your doctor and go over this again. There's no such thing as a stupid question. You know, this is your right as a patient to understand your treatment, to ask questions. You know, I always caution, okay, look, if you want an appointment this second, that might not be realistic. You need to get on someone's calendar. You need to go through the proper protocols of scheduling. Um, but of course you often miss things again, when you're in this fight or flight, which I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize they're in that. Um, certainly if you do, you know, you can take a deep breath, you can try and do some breathing exercises. Um, you know, there are, you know, pressure points, you know, on your hands or your body, you can, um, touch to try and dial it down. But I think so many people don't even realize that they're in that until after the fact. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, scheduling a call to say, okay, we went over all this. I was so overwhelmed can you please explain it to me again? I've had some time to breathe. I'm ready to take notes and process. Right, right. Lots of times I suggest to people that when the questions come into their head, they write them down. 
And so then they schedule the call and they have their list and to go in with a list and not to feel funny about a list. Because, oh, oh, exactly. You know, that way you don't forget your question and, and you know, you feel empowered. It gives you back a little control in a situation where you feel like maybe you don't have some control. Well, you just touched upon it exactly right. The feeling of loss of control and how to get that back. Yeah. What's so great is though that you're available to people in your clinic. So like somebody goes into RMA and they register and then they have a team. And I think in most places there might be a team of people that others work with. I don't know if there's, if there's um, a social work department in each place. But as a social worker there and somebody who's providing mental health services, what do you find um, happens? Because, you know, people go in and everybody reacts differently to every stage of the process. Mm -hmm. So you have some people who get an IUI and that causes a lot of anxiety and some people it doesn't. And other people go for IVF and then there's single moms and there's um, those that then have to go for third party reproduction. And I find that everybody's anxiety appears at a different point in time with this. Do you, do you find the same thing? I find that there's a, I find that there's really anxiety throughout, but I find that the grief, um, the more you're in it, the more grief there is because mm -hmm. there's so much intangible loss in this process. Uh, so that's a loss we can't see. So that can be, you know, just the fact that you need assisted reproductive technology to reproduce. That most likely was not in your plan. Maybe it was, maybe if you're, you know, a single parent or a same-sex couple, you knew that you would need assistance to reproduce. Um, but there are so many losses that keep piling up. Um, you know, again, sort of a lot of, for a lot of people, it's a loss of the element of surprise, you know, whether it's surprising a partner, friends and family with, you know, peeing on a pregnancy test at home um, or a gender reveal. And so it's helping people to first identify the grief and the intangible loss that's happening, helping them work through it, and then helping them reframe their picture about family building. Yeah, family, I think that's so spot on. What happens though? you know, when somebody isn't recognizing the grief, because what you're touching on is huge, right? There's so much grief associated with going through a fertility journey. How do you recognize the loss in that? How do you help people to recognize that they're going through this and how to care for yourself? By talking about it, first of all, because a lot of people don't realize, and then they may be reporting, you know, symptoms such as crying randomly, bouts of anger, irritability, sleep issues. And that's usually because they're holding and repressing all of these feelings and so then their feelings are trapped and they're coming out in those ways. But once you identify what feelings you're having and you give them a place to go, you honor them, you validate them, you let them flow through you, that's when you can start to achieve acceptance, which is a big stage of grief, and then a balance, and then the, the control as we talked about. Yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. We, we have to recognize our feelings. And I talk a lot about thoughts and feelings and how we want them to go together and not kind of go off in their own directions because when they don't go together, it's very hard to move forward mm -hmm. in a way where you feel centered and balanced. And that's hard. And also I find that a lot of people start to self-isolate when they get these feelings. So if you're feeling any of these 
kind of symptoms, right? If you're feeling like you're not sleeping or your eating's changed or you're isolating or you're crying or any of these things, it's good to recognize that this is specifically related to a fertility journey if that's what you're going through at this point in time. And when you go into a clinic or you're talking to a doctor, they understand that when you're dealing with people who deal with family building. Yes and no. I think that if you have a good doctor, um, you know, I feel super lucky RMA believes in the mental health aspect of treatment, which is why, you know, they've allowed me to grow here and, and create a department. I think there is still a big disconnect, though, largely speaking in the field about the mental health mm-hmm. aspect of this. And so I think a lot of times, you know, it's not given enough credence or enough um you know, space by physicians. And so I think, you know, again, it it is quite important to realize this is situational. um, And I think it is very important to work with someone, you know, in the field, I I really think a therapist should be an integral part of your care team, someone who can hold space for this, someone who can give you the tools, help you navigate this and realize, and this isn't the rest of your life, it's your life right now. And so you cannot be the same person that you were before. This is you now. It's not necessarily who you're going to be, but you have to meet yourself where you're at and you have to give yourself new skills and coping mechanisms to deal with this major stressor. Yeah. So, you know, I want to go back for a second to something you said, because I think it's so important. I'm so glad you were so honest about this, that not necessarily will your care team or your doctor be tuned into the emotional needs that are so impactful on this journey. And I find that people start to change clinics. So they'll go to one clinic and then they'll go to another clinic. And the key element, I think many times about why people stay is because they feel connected to their their care team and their doctor. And they feel like that person is listening to them when they're talking and responding Mm. to their questions. Sure. I mean, I I think it is, I, I think communication is really important. And so a lot of times I work with people, they're having a hard time with their doctor. And I say, well, did you tell your physician that you feel this way. And the patient will say, no, because I'm scared they won't like me. That's the number one response. Like I'm scared scared they'll think I'm annoying, you know? And so they'd rather kind of just switch clinics, which frankly, if you have frozen eggs or embryos at one clinic, it's not super easy to switch. Um, So I, I think communication is really important. And I say, well, you need to share with them. We don't know unless you tell us. And so- I think it is very important to schedule a call and you need to communicate your needs. This is a relationship. And at the end of the day, you're a client. And I think a lot of people have a hard time uh, with that word client because it feels very impersonal. And this is a very personal process, but you're, you're a client. And if you're not getting what you want, it's the number one place to start is by talking to your physician and being open and honest. Um, As long as you're kind and nice and communicative, I would, I've never seen a physician really not respond well. And, and sometimes it's not a match. And in that case, it usually then is a mutual agreement between physician and patient. Like, okay, this isn't a match. We tried, we need to part ways, but let's do it amicably and in a mature fashion to make sure that the patient then switches to someone who can fill their needs. No hard feelings. Yeah. And the beauty of having that conversation is that it, it's incredibly empowering it's showing you that you can advocate for yourself. You can advocate for the for your family building process, and that you're you're using your voice really to express what you need. 
And the word client is good because the truth is fertility is expensive. It's an expensive proposition for most. I know that insurance companies, thanks to all the advocacy work that, that you've done and you know, I've been working on. Done. Yeah. And Resolve, you know, which is fabulous, has done, you know, such a phenomenal job on that, that it, the coverage is getting there, but it's still expensive no matter how you look at it. And it's time consuming, it's expensive physically, emotionally and financially. And so that's a huge burden for people. And whether you're doing this alone or you're doing it with a partner, you want to be sure that you can communicate your needs so that that stress of feeling not heard and not understood is, is something that you could share with the doctor or the nurse or the social worker, and they could learn from it. And that's what you were saying, because this way everybody can kind of grow through the experience. Now, that might say very esoteric and very whatever, but it's really true. And when you do have your family and you do have a child, you're going to need to communicate with that child when they do things that you don't like. So it's exactly. just, you know, and when you work, you have to tell your boss when something happens that you don't like. It's just another realm of being able to do that. I mean, and I think part of it is there's a sort of like antiquated um, school of thought about doctor patients and that doctors are sort of these people we don't question and we don't be in touch with, you know, after an appointment. And I, I don't think that it's really like that anymore. You know, so many doctors now they're on social media, you know, they're accessible via email. And, you know, I love my work because I work with so many smart people who question. And I think that that's incredible. They question, they go out there, they do research, they read studies, and they want to know the why behind their care. And I think that you have every right to know why is your doctor choosing this protocol? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? You know, you read about a test. Okay, well, let me find out why my doctor is choosing to do that test or not choosing to do that test. And so, you know, I think it's, it's become quite a different world in terms of uh, patients and physicians and patients really, you know, speaking up for themselves and um, asking questions. Yeah. Do you think it's a double-edged sword, the Googling and the researching? Uh, yes. I really, I mean, I hate Dr. Google. All my patients know that. I think there's a big difference between reading a medical study and getting lost in the internet and, you know, these online forums where, People don't know you. They don't know your case. They don't know your stats. That I hate this sort of comparison to others. Um, and so I, I think it's a very fine line. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't like the Googling. I think it elevates anxiety. Totally. And increases deep depression. And yeah. you throw people down this rabbit hole of hours and hours of researching. And then you go to the clinic, you talk to the doctor, or you get the nurse case manager on the phone, and maybe they're having a bad day, maybe they're running late, maybe they can get a hold of you and spend all the time that you need on the phone, and maybe they can't. And depending on what happens and how much you've read, it could provoke a little bit more anxiety than you need it to be. So um, I am totally there with you on that. So please, you know, the message is when you read studies, look at where the study's coming from. Right. And, and do not crowdsource on the internet about your case. I hate that. Yeah. Do a lot of people do that? Do you find that they oh, are? They get lost in the rabbit hole. And uh, I really usually caution people, cut down your social media usage, you know, try and do it 10 minutes a day, try and not do it altogether. Um, 
you know, there's, I'm sure, you know, Lori, you know, a lot of this is what's called uh, ruminating. And uh, it's when you really get fixated on something. And so a way to stop yourself from ruminating is to do a completely different activity to refocus your mind, such as watch a YouTube video about folding origami or (laughs) do some stretching that is going to make you really have to focus or try out a new recipe in the kitchen, Um, call a friend, really take yourself away from, you know, getting stuck on one obsessive thought. So once you catch yourself in that obsessive thought, because first we have to recognize that we're doing it, allow yourself to recognize it and then stop it. And then by stopping it, take an action. And like what you're saying to me, I summarize is mind body work. So stretching would keep your mind occupied and your body and so the or cooking you know because you don't want to cut yourself or talking to a friend or origami all of these things keep your mind and your hands busy your mind and your body busy and with that your focus will shift yes exactly yeah so that's great yeah it's it's recognizing it when it starts to happen Mm -hmm. sure right and and realizing okay i've been stuck, you know, I haven't been able to focus on work because I've been obsessing over this for the past hour, right? Okay, I need to stop this. I I cannot waste my day being stuck in this thought because, you know, the other thing is, look, the end of the day is going to come, okay, whether and it's how you get there that you're in control of, right? And I think it's very up to us. Are we going to have a good day or a bad day? Okay, and do you want to spend the next few hours ruminating, getting lost in the internet? Or do you want to take control of yourself? Okay. It doesn't mean that we can take control of your fertility journey. We can't predict the future, but you are in charge of today. You are in charge of right now. You are in charge of the present. That's, that is so empowering and so hard for so many people to do. Oh, it's so hard. It sounds so easy, but we both know it's not. Oh my gosh. People always ask me, were you doing this work when you we're on your own fertility journey. And I say, no. And, and I think now, okay, if I went through this again, would I be able to to do this in a totally different way? You know, when I was going through it, I had none of these tools. It was one of the hardest experiences of my life. Um, And that's why I went into this because I don't want anyone else to suffer like I did because I, I wasted two years of my life. Well, yeah, and I hate thinking that you wasted it. I think it was the journey you had to go on. That's how I always kind of look at it. But the other thing is, um, and I would encourage people this, and that's why I'm so glad that you're you're talking with me today about about this and the mental health aspect. It's I think it's important to talk to somebody who's familiar with fertility and mental health, and not just a, a therapist who's not necessarily familiar with mental health services. When people call me, I always offer to speak to their therapist if their therapist is not familiar with mental health um, Mm. issues around fertility. Because many times, you know, if we were depressed before we started this or a little depressed or a little anxious before we started fertility, um, it's going to, I find it escalates, it increases and it expands. Yes. It can certainly trigger, it can trigger a lot of things, you know, history of eating disorder, especially to um, depression, anxiety, as you said, absolutely. Yeah. So somebody comes into the clinic now, right? And they register and they go to meet their doctor and um, it's a first visit. And so how do they wind up going to see you? How does that transition happen? 
Uh, usually they're referred or they see my name in the packet, um, you know, word of mouth. Um, it, it kind of varies. You know, I wish, you know, my my macro goal is to really build out and, and have many more of me so that every patient can have a social work um, consult on their first visit, because I think that would dramatically improve patient experience. Um, unfortunately, right now, there's just one of me. Um, I have a really amazing intern, super excited this year. I was able to bring her on. She's incredible. Um, and so my goal is really to keep um, building this out, you know, so that we can serve more people and really, um, especially from the beginning, because I think, you know, I hate when people come to me and they say like, oh, I wish I'd known about you, you know, three months ago. Um, and when they're already in a bad spot, you know, my, my goal is to prevent people from getting to that bad spot. So how do you start off? Like, what are the, what, what would be like the, um, the initial takeaways you would give somebody from a first conversation or first chat with you? you know, we talk a lot about control. We talk about uncertainty, grief, loss, how to uh, set up friends and family members for success in their support of the patient, um, patient advocacy, resources, you know, if someone's interested in support groups. I know you have um, many fantastic support groups there for a lot of people too. I think that's a great um, coping mechanism. Yeah, and you do too. You do too. I think they're, they're so powerful, right? It's almost like a gift to run them. Yeah, I, yeah, I love support okay. groups and letting other people connect with each other. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know if you found this with your groups, but many of the people continue to stay in touch for years after the groups. So mm -hmm. that's really yeah, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? It's so nice. I know. It's really nice. Um, so you you talked, you mentioned one other thing just now that I think is so important. So the first time also you talk about you you mentioned setting the family up for success to be able to support them. So yeah. that is huge. I mean, it really is. Yeah, I think, you know, so many people end up feeling like um, very triggered because I think a really common response is, you know, just relax and it will happen. Or why don't you just adopt or it's because you waited too long or you're working too hard. And so the, the first thing I usually tell people is, OK, it's impact versus intention. So most people in your life, they're well-meaning. So their intention is is to help you. OK, the impact is not helping you, but they don't know what to say and they, they want to fix it for you. And the reality is they can't because they can't give you a baby. And so you have to tell them what you need. You have to say either, I want you to ask me about it, or I want you to, you know, just send me heart emojis every day, or I want you to just tell me it's going to be fine, or I'm going to tell you what I'm going through, but then I don't want to talk about it unless I bring it up. Uh, whatever you're needing. And I think it's very important for you to check in with yourself weekly on that because one week you might need constant support and then the next week you might not. And it is, again, really communicating with people. You know, if you can start like a, um, a big email list and let people know or a text message and just say, hi, I need this. Uh, you really set people up for success in their support of you. That's fabulous suggestion. That really is. Are people comfortable with that? Have you gotten feedback on that? Um, I think sometimes I think, you know, and I always say, look, I know it's not fair. It sucks. It's another thing you have to do. Why can't people just be mind readers right. and know what you need, right? Like you're the one going through something. Why do you then have to kind of 
cater to other people. But, you know, again, I think 20 years ago, cancer was the C word, right? People, they didn't talk about it. They whispered about it. Um, and then now it's everywhere. Right. And I think, unfortunately, infertility is kind of where cancer was. It's sort of, it's, it's stigmatized, it's quiet, you know, unless really, you, you know, someone who went through it or you're going through it yourself, it's just not as commonly known. Um, you know, another kind of macro goal I have is to really change the stigma of this and make it more well-known so that society at large, you know, employers, especially friends, family, they understand what someone going through infertility is experiencing. Um, and I think that's on us to raise our voices and educate people. Um, this is what I need. This is how you can help because I just, I don't think people have the tools. I don't know if you know, I'm working on this initiative to normalize third-party reproduction. And it's really about what you're talking about. And it's to add to the um, medical intake form, donor conception adoption. Uh, I love that. All of these things begin to be spoken about so that people can feel comfortable with their own birth story and their own journey. But the parents of those who have conceived children can also feel comfortable. Mm. So we have to have the medical community comfortable, I think, first in opening up the conversations around infertility. And if we think of the numbers, one in eight are touched by infertility, that means that we all know somebody. And we're just not talking about it. Mm -hmm. Totally. So, and I love the way you put it, really. You know, the person's intent is to help. It's not to make you feel badly with what they say. So to try and let people know what you need is important, even though you feel like you shouldn't have to carry that burden with you. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I know something I personally did when I was going through this was carry so much anger and resentment, which yeah. does not serve you. And I see so many people doing that. Um, and I think, you know, you have to remember anger and resentment is, is so toxic uh, that doesn't serve you. It's going to hold you back. And so again, to really process this, uh, so you can let go of that, you know, free yourself. Yeah. And understand what it really means because yeah, exactly. anger can mean something a little bit different to everybody else. Mm -hmm. So try and try and really get curious about what anger means to you and then break it down so that you can then address it. Well, I think they're so lucky to have you as a director of the clinic. I really do. And I know some of the people that you've worked with and they're all vying to get in to see you there. <laughs> so you're a wanted woman and you know you have your private practice and you're running groups as well. And it's just so um, fortunate that you're able to offer this service to everybody, especially having gone through the journey yourself, you know? So on a professional level and a personal level, you're, you're so well equipped to help people relate to this. Well, you're always so kind. You know, I'm so grateful to have you as a colleague and a referral source. I think your empathy and compassion and, and understanding is incredible. And you do such amazing work in the community. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, it's so mutual, the feeling. It tears my eyes. <laughs> I do. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I think this is really helpful for people to understand. And I hope that everybody who's listening really understands the impact of some of these things that sound so simple because none of them are. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. And I think, um, I don't think I told you, but I have a book coming out. Um, you? Yeah. I don't think I, I told you. Didn't. 
Yeah, um, it's coming out very soon. And it, it really, it's, um, it's called Infertility 101, a quick and concise guide. And it's really sort of this down and dirty book, really discussing a lot of the things we talked about today. I put a lot of uh, coping mechanisms in there and direct skills you can use for yourself. Um, but I, I touch on a lot of these subjects. So I'm super excited for it to come out. It really is based on my work with, um, you know, the like thousands of patients I've worked with. Um, so yeah, so it, it will be, you know, on my website, um, a link, uh, which is renamgfertility.com. It'll be on Amazon. Um, so yeah, check it out. And, and I hope it will help people. Oh, I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to read it. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank very, you. Very exciting. I can't wait to read it. That's great. I hope everybody reads it, to be honest with you. And it's Fertility 101, which everybody should probably have as a handbook when they start this journey. Yeah. And it's even, you know, I, I sort of designed it. It's a guide for patients, but also something you can give to friends and family if you want to kind of say like, here, read this, and then you're going to know what I'm going through. Um, so really kind of for everyone. Just circle back for a minute. People do isolate when they're going through this mm -hmm. and you're isolating because you're feeling like people aren't hearing you. Yeah. And I, I think they are hearing you, but they just don't know what to say. And that's very often why you seek out support groups and you seek out professionals to talk to because you need to be heard just in a way where you can talk. And sometimes exactly. you have a partner that person needs to talk to. Exactly. It's so important to build out your village and it really, it takes a village. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. Well, thank you. And good luck with this book, Fertility 101. I can't wait to read it. Uh, and, thank um, you, Lori. And could you just repeat what your website is if somebody wants to go to it or get a hold of you? Yes, it's Rena M, as in Michelle, G, as in girl, fertility.com. Um, or I'm on Instagram, same thing, Rena M, G, fertility. Great. Well, thank you so much. And if anybody wants to get a hold of me, you can contact me at lorimets.net. <laughs>